Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of John. This is the Word of God. It's life. It's truth. What a blessed privilege we have to open it this morning. And so let's get ready to dig in. Let me take us to prayer as we start. Father, we are so grateful that you have given to us your word. The word that is true. The word that will never perish, will never fade away. It is alive and it is powerful. And so, Father, may your word do a work in us this day. May we have ears that are ready to listen, hearts that are ready to receive. May your spirit illumine your word, bring it to light in our understanding. That we might be drawn near to you and that we might be changed. To that end, we commit these next Uh, Moments together, we ask your grace and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that this church has such an interest in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, which makes what I'm about to say some sad news, but probably not anything that is surprising to you, something you probably already know. In the United States today, Christianity is declining in numbers, has been for some time. But today, less than two-thirds, less than 65% of Americans identify as Christians. That's down about 10 percentage points from just a decade ago. The numbers of those who identify as non-religious, no religious affiliation, whatever, are growing greatly. A 2021 research survey by Pew Research revealed that 35% of Americans, that's over a third of Americans, view churches and religious institutions To be negative in their influence. I find that number absolutely astounding and distressing. Over a third of Americans believe that churches and religious institutions not only fail to be a positive influence and a positive impact in our world, but they believe that they are actually a negative influence. Influence. That should sober us, shouldn't it? What should we do about that? Obviously, the American church has a PR crisis, public relations crisis. And yet for decades, scores of Christians and Christian organizations have been busily working, trying to make Jesus and the church and Christianity trying to make it attractive and appealing and, you know, cool. 
the latest notable attempt that I caught my eye was the $100 million He Gets Us campaign that premiered during the Super Bowl. I'm pretty confident that while there are likely very well-meaning people behind that promotional campaign, which they say we'll be seeing all over the place in the coming year, I'm pretty confident that it will accomplish actually very little. Two real reasons for that. As I've gone online and done research with them and the the whole campaign, what I discovered is the gospel of Jesus Christ is strikingly absent. Well, if you're taking something that's supposed to be promoting Jesus but is not presenting the gospel, you're missing the whole point. And secondly, and again, I think many of those folks are probably very sincere, but I don't believe that any ad campaign will really do much to change the minds and hearts of people toward Jesus Christ. That's going to have to happen by something much more personal and much more tangible. And it's exactly what Jesus begins to address in the passage before us this morning. We're in John chapter 15. It is the last hours before the cross. And Jesus is giving critical instruction to His disciples while He is still with them and has opportunity. And it's information that was, isn't just important for those that handful of disciples in the upper room. It is information that is vitally important for us today, which is why the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle John to spend a great amount of material here in chapters 13 through 17 taking us through these last hours. Last week, in the first part of chapter 15, we saw that the the focus was on how Jesus' followers are to relate to Him. We are to abide in Christ to accomplish the purpose He has for us, which is to bear fruit. We are to abide in Him and He in us. We are to make our home in Him and to make Him at home in us. Uh, I won't say any more about that. If you weren't here, go online, watch it, listen to it. Not because I'm that great, but the material is critical. Secondly, this week, that was last week, this week, the focus is on how Jesus' followers are to be relating to one another. Last week it was how we are to relate to Him. Now in this section in John 15, it's how we are to relate to one another. Next week we will see... Jesus talked about the relation of his followers to the world out there. Chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus here issues a command that is critical for those disciples, that will be critical after His departure, and be critical for all of us as we seek to follow Him in our own day and age. The command is love 
one another. The command is so very important that he repeats it when you get down to verse 17. Just look down a few verses. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I actually think it's translated and stated much more simply and directly in every other translation. And the NIV puts it this way. This is my command. Love each other. There we go. Two times in just a few verses. Love one another. But it's not the first time this night that Jesus has given this command. Earlier, if you were here with us a number of weeks ago when we were in chapter 13, as they sat down after the foot washing, after they sat down and were eating the dinner, after Judas had left, chapter 13, Jesus says, Little children, yet a little while and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus had given this command before in this very evening. But it seems to me that the the disciples heard Jesus say, I'm going away, I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't follow me. And after that, they didn't hear anything else he said. That was shocking, that was distressing, it was troubling. And they fixated on that. I think that all of them did, but we know that Peter certainly did, because Peter, he stopped listening, he didn't hear that commandment. Peter's only response was this. What? Lord, where are you going? What do you mean we can't come? I'll die for you. So now an hour or so later, Jesus comes back and says it again here in chapter 15. They're either still in the room or possibly, I think more likely, on the way, having left the room They are on their way through the streets of Jerusalem. They've stopped somewhere, maybe even in the temple courts. And Jesus says it now two more times. Love one another. Back in chapter 13, he said, it's a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you. We might ask, well... A new commandment. We might ask, how is it a new commandment? After all, just a few days before this, Jesus was in the temple. And there the religious leaders were questioning him, trying to trip him up. And one of the Pharisees had asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus had already talked about the commandment to love others. And he didn't invent it there on the spot. We go back and we find he's quoting from the book of Leviticus, from the Old Testament law. And he says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19.18. 
this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is as old as the Old Testament law. So when Jesus says here, a new commandment I give to you, love one another, we wonder, how can this be called new? If it's been a commandment all along. Well, there are at least two new things here that I want to draw our attention to. The first is that Jesus has given us here a new target for our love. He says, love one another. See, the law said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had explained that more in in his teaching. He had said that, for example, answering this question, who is my neighbor? He'd given the parable of the Good Samaritan. The neighbor is not just the people you like. It's not just the people who live close by. Your neighbor is anyone, everyone. We also remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was talking about loving others and He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies, whatever. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies. Jesus had already expanded this commandment, but now He says something different. He says, love one another. What He means is certainly that we... We are to love our neighbor. We are to even love our enemies. But he's calling us here to a special love for one another, believers in Jesus Christ. Earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, John informs us that whoever receives him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to To become children of God. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, he says, you are born again, he says in John chapter 3. We are born, as he says here in John 1, not of a father's will. It's not a human decision. We are born of God. It is a spiritual birth. We are reborn and placed into his family. We are bound together as family. And our Heavenly Father wants His children to love one another. Moms and dads, if you have kids, you understand one of the great desires, I think, of every parent ever is that our kids get along. Because usually they're (laughs) fighting and everything else, right? They're just like, can we please get along? God wants His children to get along in His family. He gives us a new target for our love, but He also gives us a new standard for our love. See, before the command was, love your neighbor as yourself. Here it's, love one another. What's the standard? As I have loved you. You have to let that sink in because it's easy to read it and never really think about what that means. We are to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. And if that's not shocking enough, look at this verse. Just go to verse 9. Just go up a few if you're in chapter 15 of John. By the way, we're going to be between a little bit back and forth between John chapter 15 and John chapter 13 because the commandment is in both places. But in chapter 15, verse 9, look at that. What it says is, As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Jesus says, love one another like I have loved you. Well, as the Father loves me, so I have loved you. In other words, we're supposed to love one another with the same love to the same standard of how God the Father loves God the Son. Now, let me ask you, did Jesus elevate this command just a little bit? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's a pretty high standard. Love one another as God the Father loves God the Son. Jesus didn't elevate this command a little bit. He took it to a whole new dimension. One pastor called this the Mount Everest of commands. Mount Everest, where a few people dare to try to ascend and a few people make it up to the top, but nobody lives there. The point is that This is a high command and it's a high calling, but it is what we are to aspire to. None of us is going to do this perfect all the time, but it should be our aim to love one another with the same love that God the Father has for God the Son. The same love which Jesus Christ has for us. Which raises the question, well, if we are to love one another as Jesus has loved us, What does it mean to love like Jesus? What does that look like? As I tried to think about that this week, I thought that's a big subject. If this were a Sunday school class, we could start brainstorming what that looks like. What does the Bible tell us about Jesus and his love for us? And and how can we, you know, and we would sit here probably the rest of the day trying to to come up with a, a list of what that looks like. Matter of fact, as I understand, that will be one of the big things that occupies us in heaven, will it not? To marvel at the grace and the love that God has for us through Jesus Christ. But as I look in this section of Scripture that is our subject these weeks, these eight hours, I see several ways that Jesus in particular loves, demonstrates His love, that maybe gives us a starting place. As we try to put some shoe leather on it this week, To try to love one another as Jesus loves us. What does that look like? Well, here's a few things I see. One of the most obvious is one that we have already talked about this morning. We celebrated the communion. That Jesus Christ sacrificed Himself for us. And in verse 13 it says there, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus died for us. Death, obviously, dying for others is obviously the the ultimate sacrifice of love. But as I thought about that, we can only do that once. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus has in mind. When he says, love one another like I've loved you, well, I'm going to go out and throw myself in the front of a car for you. Won't accomplish much, for one thing. What does he mean? May I suggest is to die daily. To die a little bit at a time every day. To die meaning I give up my agenda. I give up my preferences. I give up my desires. I give up my agenda, my priorities. I give up all these things to serve you. Abandon our pride. Look to build others, to strengthen others, to encourage others, to care for others. 
rather than seeking to be served, to be encouraged, to be cared for, to be admired, to be loved, we aim at doing that for others. By the way, as I thought about this one another stuff, we are to love one another. It's talking about us in the body of Christ. We are to love one another, those who are believers. And I think it also needs to apply not only here, but at home. That's where it really starts. These commands, as we think about how Jesus models love for us, it needs to start showing up at home. It's a little easier to do at church because we only see you so you know every so often. <laughs> at home, we see you 24-7. Jesus sacrificed Himself. We need to sacrifice ourselves to die to ourselves to serve others. There's more than that. Go back to where we began in the study to chapter 13. We saw that Jesus saw a need among the disciples. Feet needed to be washed. They were dirty. They were smelly. Nobody had done anything. There was supposed to be a servant to do that. There wasn't. And nobody wanted to do it because that's the low, degrading, menial, awful job. But Jesus picked up a towel and a basin and He washed feet. He served them. He met the needs of others. That's what this is calling us to do. Matter of fact, Jesus was very pointed. No servant is above his master. If I washed your feet, so you should do for one another. Serve one another. There is no job too low for any of us to minister and care for others. A third way that Jesus demonstrates love to His disciples and to us is I notice that Jesus gave grace. Chapter 13, verse 38, just after what we finished reading earlier when Peter says, Lord, I'll I'll die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Later on, chapter 16, we'll be there in a week or two, a couple weeks. Jesus said this to all the disciples, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it's come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. When Jesus had said, One of you will betray me, they all said, No, 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 not me, not me. When Jesus said that you'll scatter, you'll abandon me, they all said, no, 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 not me. We won't. We will stick by you through thick and thin. Jesus says here, yes, you will. You'll leave me. When the soldiers arrested Jesus, they all fled. They left him alone. Yet, Jesus said, I am not alone. For the Father is with me. And I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. See, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen this night and the next day. He knew that Peter would deny Him. He knew these disciples would scatter. And I I think what most of us would do in this case is we would talk to these disciples, you bunch of losers. I've invested three years with you guys and every one of you is going to flake out tonight. I'm going to ask God if He can raise up a few new guys. You know, let's get some help here. But you notice what he does? He is so gracious. 
It wasn't in this text, but he he says to Peter, you're going to deny me. But when you return, and he gives a message of hope to strengthen your brothers. To these guys, he says, you're all going to scatter, but he says, yet I am not alone. You're going to leave me alone, but I'm not alone. Why does he say that? He says, my father is with me. You know why he says this? I've said these things to you so that you may have peace. Can you just imagine being any of those disciples? You've spent three years with Jesus. You've come to believe He is from God. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He has been your dear friend, your teacher, your leader. You have left everything to follow Him for three years. He is arrested and you run just like He said you were going to do. And while you're hiding out, they torture him, they humiliate him, they mock him, they crucify him, and he dies. How are you going to feel? I think you're going to feel as low as dirt, a little lower than dirt. Just abandoned the one we said we'd love. Just abandoned the one we said we'd never leave. We let him endure all that and wasn't there. Anybody think you'd feel like that or worse? And what does Jesus say? Hey, guys, I know you're going to do this. Understand, you didn't leave me alone. You thought you did, but I knew it was happening. You realize what Jesus is doing? He's setting them up for, I'm coming back, guys. I know I've told you. You don't understand it. I'm coming back. And when I do... It's forgiven. It's okay. What grace. Does that give hope for losers here? Anybody else out here a loser? Wow. Hmm. Jesus not only gave them grace, He befriended them. Look at verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus is the Creator God of the universe. He is Lord of all. He has every right to treat us as the lowest of servants. And He says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. He's treating us as and here he's, he's treating them in the mission. He's saying, I've, I've told you what the Father is doing. I'm treating you as, as equals, as my friends. I'm in, he's going to be entrusting to them the mission to carry on the work that he has started. As he has paid for salvation, they are going to be the messengers of salvation. We are going to be the messengers of salvation. And Jesus isn't talking down to us as servants. He's talking to us as friends. Isn't that phenomenal? How that applies to us as brothers and sisters. There is no place for us to be high and mighty. No place for us to ever look down on others, to treat anyone else as subordinates. But how often that happens in the church. People become leaders in the church. I'm the great, you know, pastor. Say reverend when you talk to me. (laughs) No. 
Heavens no, there's no room for that in the church. If Jesus talks to us as friends, as brothers, so we talk to one another. There is no hierarchy. There, is, there are no subordinates. We honor one another as believers. We honor one another in our homes. Jesus cared about them. Jesus knows everything that's about to happen. He knows what He is about to endure. He knows that He is about to step into the greatest suffering, the greatest trial of anyone in all of eternity. Yes, He is going to be beaten. Yes, He is going to be mocked. Yes, He is going to be humiliated. Yes, He is going to be tortured. Yes, He is going to be hung on a cross. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. He is going to endure the full wrath of God against all of sin. He is going to come upon Him. An eternity of hell that we all deserved is going upon Him. And I don't know about you, but when I know something bad is coming, I want you to know that I know something bad is coming. If it's happening to me. Well, it's going to be awful. It's going to be bad. Just want you to know. I could use a hug. You know. Where is Jesus saying to the disciples, here, guys, this is going to be really awful. I'm really not looking forward to this. This is horrible. What is going to happen here? I'm going to bear the sin of the world, guys. This is going to be... Would you guys... His focus is on them. We read a moment ago in 1333, little children. A term of endearment and a term of protection. He's concerned about them. Hey, guys, come here. Let me give you a hug. Because you're about to go into a tough time. Not the slightest fraction of what he's going into. He says, guys, this is going to be tough. Chapter 14, verse 1, he says, don't be troubled. Chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Don't worry, guys. Don't you know, Stay calm. Chapter 16, verse 12, I have so many things to say to you, but you can't bear them. Jesus wants to just dump the whole truck, but he knows they can't take it. So I'm take it, telling you what you, I know you can handle, but I'm trying to do everything I can to get you ready for what's coming. Wow, he cares about them. What does that mean when you and I love one another? Well, it means we care about others instead of being fixated on our own problems, instead of being fixated on our own worries, on our own needs, on our own concerns, we start caring about others and listening to them and caring for them. Even when it's not convenient. Even when they're not aware of the hurts we have. Lastly, and I, again, I have to move quickly. Jesus prayed for them. The whole chapter of John 17 We'll get there in a couple weeks. The very things that Jesus calls them to do and commands them to do, He prays for them that they will be able to do them. That God will help them. We often pray for people, but we often pray that God will change them so that they will do what we want. <laughs> so that they will be how we want them to be. But how often do we intercede for people for their Spiritual well-being, for their growth, for their success. 
Jesus prays for them. And by the way, as we'll see when we get there, He prays for us. Well, why is this a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that we need to love one another as Jesus loved us? Well, two reasons here in the text. The first is this. Uh, Look at verse 10 of chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. See, what he says is love for one another is essential in our relationship with God. If we want to abide in God's love, if we want to make our home in the love of God, if we want to experience and to enjoy the love of God, notice what he says, that will happen if we keep his commandments. And what is his commandment? Good, thank you. I was hoping somebody... Wow. First service was a little faster on that one this week. Yes, number one on the list. Love one another. In other words, if we don't love one another, we won't abide in His love. We, we won't be at home there. In John's first letter, John says it this way, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, to put a little shoe leather on it, if you're feeling distant from God, the place to begin looking for possibly how to correct it is to start looking at how you are treating others. Because being close to God and being unloving toward other people do not go together. They cannot coexist. If we are unloving towards others, it creates a wedge between us and God. That's what he's saying. From God, are you loving your wife? Are you loving your husband? Are you loving your children? Are you loving your parents? Are you loving that difficult person at church? Every church has one. We know who you are. (laughs) But we won't put it in the church newsletter. Secondly, Why is this a big deal? Because it's essential to our witness to the world. It's essential to our witness to the world. Why is it that our world is thinking the church is a negative influence? Now, it may just because They are sinners who have rejected God. Or it could be because many of those whom they know and observe who name the name of Christ are not living as loving people. Interesting that the thing that Jesus connects most here to our witness to the world is not our witness to the world. It's not us handing out tracts and getting the gospel out on a radio station. Nothing wrong with that. But he connects 
our witness to the world with our love for one another. Again, back in chapter 13, we read the verse, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, in that you love one another. But there's more. I go over to John chapter 17. And it says there, very pointedly, Jesus is praying. He says that they, meaning us, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. By the way, being one, being united is the byproduct of loving one another. Okay, That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us. Here's the punchline. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, when the world sees a bunch of unlikely people coming together and loving one another deeply uh, and without, you know, and, and what's the word I'm looking for? Deeply and fully and, and um, anyway, when they see that, it makes an impact. I was down in the southern Philippines years ago with a bunch of folks and they were talking about the power of God and they were wondering, you know, we're supposed to be seeing the power of God show up. We were in Ephesians chapter 1. We're supposed to be seeing the power of God show up in us. They're wondering, are we missing something? Should we be looking for great miracles and signs and wonders? And I said, no, because you keep going in Ephesians and what you see is that He has taken Jew and Greek, He's taken these, these incompatible peoples and put them together in one body. And there is where the power of God really shows up. And this group of folks in the Philippines were people from about eight different tribes. And these tribes, they have a pecking order and they look down on, you know, these are high and mighty and these look down on these people who are low and nothing. And there's wars between them and blood feuds between them. And I said, what is you guys shouldn't be here in this room together. Much less you are dear brothers and sisters. You love on each other. You know, you, you hug on each other. You pray together. You, you encourage one another. And when the outside world sees that, they go, what is it? How can that person love that person? That's the effect of the Gospel. When it crosses racial boundaries, when it crosses ethnic boundaries, when it crosses educational boundaries, when it crosses socioeconomic boundaries, and we get all of us here in, coming from different backgrounds, we're very different people, and we love one another, the world takes notice because that doesn't happen naturally in the world. Well, Tertullian, 150 years after this, was writing... He was a Roman who became a believer in Jesus Christ. And, uh, oh, there was another verse where it says the same thing in John 17. Similar thing. But just the point is that our love tells the world, helps the world believe that Jesus is real. But Tertullian wrote this, talking about the pagan world and what they said about the Christians of the day. The pagan world, he said, says, see how they love one another. And they are even ready to die for one another. The people in the outside world could not understand it. How can slaves and masters and all these different classes and different races and different things be brought together into one body and love each other so? May I say that probably is very much why the church 
in those first couple of centuries turned the world upside down and spread rapidly through the world because they loved one another. Three keys to living this out very quickly. Pastor, what we've been called to is an impossible standard of love for one another. How can I ever make that happen in our church and in my home? How can I ever do that? Verse 16, chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Three keys to living this out. Number one, phone a friend. Ask for help. We've noted in the last couple of weeks that several times Jesus has said, whatever you ask of my Father, I will do it. Well, it's not a new Mercedes or whatever else. The the things we're asking for is what God wants. What does God want? He wants us to bear fruit. What's the fruit He wants us to bear? To be like Jesus. And what's that? To love like Jesus. Well, it seems to me if we're needing help with it, we ask ask God and what does He do? He's going to answer that prayer request. He's going to help us grow in our love and we need that help. Secondly, verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. While we need help because we can't do it on our own, we also have to choose to obey. It's a command. He'll grow His love in us, but we need a desire to change. We need to choose to live as He calls us to live. Lastly, we need to connect. It occurs to me that if we're called here to love one another and the the command is to love one another as believers, the one thing we have to do is be connected with other believers. We can't love one another's if there aren't one another's in our life. And it's not going to happen just by walking in the door and we see each other at a distance and go, oh, and we walk out the door. A vast number of Christians today slip in and slip out of churches unnoticed, untouched, uninvolved in the lives of others. And that was never what God intended for His people. We are to live together as a body, as it were. We are to be connected with one another. That's one of the big problems of the large, large churches we have in our world. But it's just as much a problem in a church this size. It isn't so large. We can easily slip in and slip out. We need to be connected. I'm not saying that so we grow our church big. I'm saying that for our spiritual health because it's what God says. I don't care how big we get, but I want us to be strong and faithful for Christ. We have to connect to one another. That means we need to work together, pray together, study together, laugh together, cry together, bear one another's burdens. It's going to take more than just slipping in and out on a Sunday morning. If you're not already, you're part of this church, I encourage you to get connected somewhere else outside of this group. This worship service. Get involved in a home group. Get involved in a Bible study. Go to Sunday school. Get in a ministry where you rub shoulders with people. Do something where you start connecting with others and you can start putting these things into practice. Love one another. We're out of time. Let me wrap us up with prayer. Father, how we need this. Every one of us, when we look at what you call us to, this is a command. It's not an optional thing. It's not, well, a nice suggestion. Jesus said, this is a new command. He's given to us. And 
So we need to do it, but we look at the standard, we say it's impossible. I can't love like God loves, but yet you've called us to it, so it's not impossible. You are going to grow this in us. You've even told us how. We have to choose to obey, and we have to choose to abide in you and ask you for help, and you'll change us. And as you do so, not only will our relationships change, not only will our homes change, but we will see a change in the world around us as they see the reality of Christ at work in us. So, Father, don't let us be the same after today. Start changing us. Grow in us the love of Jesus. In His name we ask it. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with Him this week.